This episode is sponsored by Celestron, manufacturer of high-quality telescopes and an industry leader in developing exciting optical products with revolutionary technologies. I'm Kelly Beatty of Sky and Telescope magazine, and tonight we're going on a tour of the stars and planets that you'll see overhead during June. This month, we'll mark the sun's solstice, follow the moon through its phases, watch Venus and Mars dance in the evening sky, track down a couple of faint constellations, and shine a spotlight on the star Arcturus. Ready for all that? Then grab your curiosity and come along with me on this month's Sky Tour. As a rule, stargazers crave darkness. Nothing gets our juices flowing like a wide-open canopy of stars set like diamonds on black velvet. But for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, June offers the shortest nights of the year. This month's solstice occurs on the 21st at 10.58 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Astronomically speaking, that's when summer begins in the Northern Hemisphere and winter in the Southern Hemisphere. For someone at a latitude of, say, 40 degrees north, which runs from Salt Lake City through Philadelphia and over to Madrid, that day will offer 15 hours of sunlight. It's just not fair. Here in Boston, it's often too cold and snowy to head outside in December when nighttime is longest. And then I get shortchanged six months later when I can view the night sky more comfortably. Grr. Okay, rant's over. Let's talk about the moon's whereabouts. This month opens with the full strawberry moon on the night of June 3rd. You can watch it rise in the east just as the sun sets in the west, or get up early to watch it set at sunrise. A bowl of strawberries to snack on would be a nice touch, don't you think? The last quarter moon follows on June 10th, and new moon on the 18th. By the evening of the 20th, keep an eye out for a razor-thin crescent low in the west as evening twilight deepens. And finally, first quarter moon occurs on the 26th. Now let's track down two planets in the evening sky. During June, the skies after sunset and before sunrise each offer two planets to view. If you're game to get up in time for dawn twilight, you can spot Jupiter low in the east and Saturn well to its right, nearly due south, before the sun comes up. And if you had to pick one day to make this pre-dawn effort, then I'd suggest June 14th, when a pretty crescent moon will sit just a couple of degrees from Jupiter. Meanwhile, in early evening, you can easily track down Earth's two closest planetary neighbors. Venus is the obvious beacon over in the west after sunset. Stunning, isn't it? It's no wonder some casual sky watchers have reported it as a UFO. Venus has been climbing higher up with each passing week, and on June 4th, the brilliant planet is situated its farthest from the sun in the sky, what astronomers term greatest elongation. With so much separation, Venus won't set until more than three hours after the sun does. Early in June, look for Pollux and Castor, Gemini's twins, just to the right of Venus. But with each passing week, these two stars will drift farther down into the twilight glow. The other planet in this general vicinity is Mars, which is to the upper left of Venus, but a lot dimmer. Mars is sliding a bit lower each night, while Venus is holding its own. So, as June opens, the two planets are separated by about the width of your clenched fist on an outstretched arm. By month's end, they'll be just a few degrees apart, 
And you might think they'll move very close together sometime in July, but nope. At the end of June, Venus rounds the corner in its orbit, at least as seen from Earth, and starts losing altitude faster than Mars does. In any case, a crescent moon moves past the two of them on the evenings of the 21st and 22nd, making a pretty trio. Once evening's twilight has faded away, let your gaze drift to the upper left of Mars and Venus. There's a bright star about two fists away from Mars in early June, but only one fist away at month's end. See it? That's Regulus, the anchor star in the constellation Leo the Lion. Look for an arc of stars just to the upper right of Regulus, shaped like a backward question mark with Regulus at the bottom. These mark the lion's head and mane. Its body stretches to the upper left. Now look farther to the left past the body, about a quarter turn from where the sun set, to face south. Do you see that bright star kind of on its own? That's Spica. Now, most everyone calls this star Spica, but I'm being true to its Latin roots. It's the brightest star in the constellation Virgo, the maiden. She's lying down in the sky, with her head off to the right and her legs toward left. Spica, which is Latin for ear of grain, marks one of her hands. In fact, depictions of Virgo often show her holding some wheat stalks. Before it gets too late, Look about one and a half fists to the lower right of Spica for a quartet of fainter stars arranged like a misshapen box. This is Corvus, the crow. And below that, hovering just above the horizon from below Mars all the way to three fists past Corvus on the left, is the very long and very dim constellation Hydra, the water snake. You'll have to use your imagination because the stars of Hydra are rather faint. But this slithery critter is larger and longer than any of the other constellations in the sky. If you look at this same part of the sky at the same time each night, say 9 p.m., you'll notice that the stars are gradually moving down toward the western horizon, day by day, week by week. That's all due to Earth's motion along its orbit and the arrangement of the sun against the background stars as it does so. Meanwhile, on the other side of the sky, a fresh batch of stars and constellations are gradually getting higher at the same time each night throughout June. For example, low in the southeast at nightfall is the star Antares, the red-tinged heart of the constellation Scorpius. Antares is obvious even if you suffer from a lot of light pollution. And as the hours pass, as Earth turns on its axis, the stars of Scorpius will move higher in the sky. Take a moment to compare the color of Antares and Spica. Antares means the rival of Mars, and it has a distinctly peachy color. But Spica looks icy white, a consequence of being a much hotter star. Halfway between them is the dim constellation Libra, representing a scale or balance for measuring weights. Long ago, sky watchers considered Libra to be part of Scorpius. Its brightest star, more than two fists to the upper right of Antares, is named Zubanesh Shamali. Nearby, a bit to the lower right, is Zubanel Ganubi. These names are fun to say, and they have interesting meanings in Arabic. Zubanesh Shamali means the northern claw, and Zubanel Ganubi the southern claw. Now, a balance doesn't have claws, of course, but a scorpion does. Ancient Babylonians considered these two stars to mark the front of the celestial scorpion. And even though they're officially now in Libra, the name stuck. If the sky is clear and your light pollution isn't too bad, you can see that Zubanesh Shamali and Zubanel Ganubi form the upper right side of a kite-shaped quartet of stars, 
That's Libra, or most of it anyway. Now you might know that the Sun and major planets travel around the sky through a sequence of 12 constellations called the Zodiac. Scorpius is one of them, and so are Libra, Virgo, and Leo. This chain of constellations form a highway of sorts along the ecliptic, which marks the plane of Earth's orbit and basically those of all the bright planets across the sky. Here's one more star to check out. Crane your neck and look straight up to spot Arcturus, the fourth brightest star in the nighttime sky. It's fairly close by as stars go, only 37 light years away. Arcturus is a red giant star, a swollen orb that's more than 25 times the sun's diameter and 200 times its brightness. Can you detect a bit of ginger ale tinge in its light? Compare the color of Arcturus to that of Vega, high in the east and six fists away. Vega is just a touch brighter than Arcturus, but it's also a much hotter star that shines with an icy white light. Can you detect a color difference between the two of them? It's subtle, so look carefully. Arcturus is highest in the evening sky around 10 o'clock. For most of us, it'll be 60 or 70 degrees above the horizon, but it passes directly overhead as seen from Honolulu. This geometric distinction made Arcturus an important navigational aid for early Polynesian sailors. They determined their latitude by noting which stars were passing directly overhead through what's called the zenith. At some point between 1000 and 1200 AD, some of these sailors crossed the equator heading northward and happened upon the Hawaiian island chain. And while they were there, they noted that Arcturus was the most prominent zenith star, a realization that they used to guide them back to these islands on return visits. Here's one more tidbit about Arcturus. It's just one of a few dozen stars in the Milky Way known to travel in an elongated and highly tilted orbit around our galaxy's center. Our sun isn't one of them, by the way, but to researchers, these oddball orbits suggest that Arcturus and those other stars are from a small galaxy that collided with the Milky Way billions of years ago. Imagine what that must have been like. That's about it for this month. If you want more tips for viewing the night sky, check out Sky at a Glance on our website, skyandtelescope.org. It offers great star and planet gazing activities on a day-by-day -day basis. And if you haven't already subscribed, you can find this Sky Tour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And please, leave me a rating or a review. I'd love for other stargazers to find this podcast. And if you want to explore the solar system and universe more deeply, please do check out the full line of binoculars and telescopes available at Celestron.com. Sky Tour is a production of Sky and Telescope, a division of the American Astronomical Society, and is produced by me, Kelly Beattie. Join me next month when I'll show you how to track down all of the scorpion in the sky, or how to stay clear of it, depending on your point of view. Until then, I wish you clear skies. <laughs>